Hey everybody, I'm Mike McDonald. My buddy Jesse Stratton loves some of the cheesiest movies ever made. He spent years telling me about them all, so now I'm finally watching these movies for the very first time. This is our podcast where we break those movies down together. This is the Celluloid Dumpster Fire. Hey everybody, today we're talking about the 1985 comedy horror film The Stuff. Written and directed by Larry Cohen. This movie was made on a budget of $1.7 million, which $1.5 million was spent on marshmallow cream. <laughs> yeah. The story's a satirical look at food product recalls and the American addiction to junk food. I like this commercialism, the way they push the stuff. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Larry Cohen's like kind of a genius. I mean, he's written, like, on every TV show and stuff. So he knows, like, what he's making fun of in this movie, you know? I really like this movie. He's pretty cool. Yeah, written and directed by Larry Cohen, who has written, like you said, just about everything from 1960 to present. Yeah, he uh, did. He, he wrote and directed the It's Alive series. Yes, that's awesome. Yeah, Demon Babies. Uh, or did, a Demon did, Baby, wasn't it? It started off as one demon baby and then by the end of the whole thing was an island of demon babies <laughs> like, flipper babies like just in trees and they come down and they attack you oh god he also did maniac cop right and uh q the one about the big bird yeah or it actually was like a lizard bird or something and also i didn't know but yeah he like uh like uh wrote and directed black Steel yeah with yeah red Winston. Which I love that movie too. He created several TV series in the sixties, including The Invaders. Ah, yeah, yeah. His TV work is like insane. Like it goes way more than like his movie stuff. Yeah, special effects makeup by Ed French, who did special effects and special effects makeup for Amityville Two, Tales from the Dark Side, and Star Trek Four. And I read that and I thought, well, this is going to be pretty good. But then I saw some of the special effects in this movie. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, more it's recently, not... he's worked on yeah. House of Cards, Westworld, Preacher, and SpongeBob movie, Sponge on the Run. I want to see that. They're pretty cool. They're uh, like for what, you know, what they're doing and stuff. It was really cool effects work. But, you know, it's not the blob from the, you know, the 80s remake or nothing. No. Right. Uh, movie stars Michael Moriarty as David Moe Rutherford. And I love if you it. don't know why they call him Moe, he'll tell you several times. He's got several different answers, too. <laughs> He's a very prolific and very tall actor. Yeah. Known for his roles in Law & Order, Sci Factor, Chronicles of the Paranormal, Taken, Courage Under Fire, and Pale Rider with uh, Clint Eastwood. He, uh, he was also Harry Potter in that first troll movie. Right, right, he was. Yeah. That, yeah. that movie kind of has the same feel as this movie. It kind of feels like a really long made-for-TV movie. And like I said, a very tall guy. He's about six foot 43. And that shows, especially when he's standing to, next to somebody like Garrett Morris. Especially and, when he's wearing that hairpiece. Yeah. Because that adds a couple inches on there, too. I have Garrett Morris as Charles Chocolate Chip Charlie Hobbs. Garrett Morris, of course, best known for Saturday Night Live, yeah. uh, the Jamie Foxx show, and Two Broke Girls. 
Oh, he's still doing like movies and TV and stuff. Oh yeah, he's been he's been very very uh, hard at work for a long long time. He was even in a couple episodes of Married with Children. Yeah, Andrea Markovici as Nicole. She's had recurring roles in Trapper John, M.D., Hill Street Blues, and Basket. Appeared in Space Hunter, Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, Murder, She Wrote, and Velvet Buzzsaw. Uh, Space Hunter is a great movie. I've seen that a lot. Uh, but yeah, she just mostly like a bunch of cheap work. I think El Magnum P.I., she played a different character. Like, I don't know, like every couple of episodes. <laughs> she like four or five ladies on Magnum P.I. Like in one season. And we've we've encountered people in several of the movies that we've uh, discussed that did exactly that same sort of thing. Yeah, how long um, was the worst about that? Yeah, I mean, you get away with that in that format, but uh, yeah, hey, yeah, guys. and most of the cop dramas uh, will do that. They'll find a good character actor and they'll use them for several different characters, often in the same season. Oh yeah, quick turnaround on that. Paul Sorvino is Colonel Spears. Recognize him from Goodfellas, The Rocketeer, and Nixon. He also played the dad on The Goldberg. Yeah. He played the dad, and then he gets replaced by uh, the other guy from like uh, Independence Day and stuff. I thought that was weird. Yeah. But he he brought like a really slow sadness to that character. But yeah, I love this. Yeah, mostly Goodfellas. I love he sticks out in that, man. He really stole that. Yeah, and as if that wasn't enough mafia tie-in for you, we have Danny Aiello as Vickers. Oh, yeah. Special best known guest. for Godfather. Aiello. Also appeared in Moonstruck and Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis. I was about to say, don't forget Hudson Hawk. Yeah. Harlem <laughs> Nights, The Last Dawn, Do the Right Thing. And this is one that we need to cover in a future episode. The Sicilian Vampire. Oh, man. I don't know. I haven't seen that one in a while. I just keep thinking, what if Joe Pesci was Dracula? <laughs> <laughs> so the movie starts off a snowy night at a gravel quarry, it looks like. An old guy sees something bubbling up out of the ground, so he does what anybody would do when they see something bubbling up out of the ground. He picks some up and eats it. Yeah, I don't... Yeah, no. That's good stuff, apparently. No, I ain't white crap off i see no uh -uh. i mean he does look around to see if anybody's watching he tastes it yeah pick it up out of the off the ground give it a sniff and then taste it he puts the whole gob on his finger and just dust it in his mouth yeah and then he starts like calling his like co-workers over like, yeah come over here and taste this pick up this stuff i found on the ground and and then it gets really creepy here just lick it off of my finger yeah it's <laughs> There should be safety regulations at factories and uh, mines and stuff. You would think. And this was 1985. So nowadays, yeah, there's probably signs posted at gravel quarries that if you see something bubbling up out of the ground, don't put it in your mouth. Well, they probably have scooters on the roof now. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Next, we cut to a little kid who's fighting with his blanket. Turns out that his windows are open and mosquitoes are coming in the window and, and, and eating him up. But that's kind of weird because we just saw it was winter. Yeah. He closes the windows and goes downstairs to get a drink and sees the stuff in the refrigerator. It's a carton. looks like a little ice cream carton. 
but it has turned over and the stuff has poured out and it's moving like quickly too like just slides it's like like um, i don't know how to like spider web or something or like like spider-man when he does his web it's like that it's just like so his dad comes in and scares him um tries to tell his dad that stuff is moving on its own but his dad doesn't believe him he sends the kid back up to his room and then he starts eating the stuff after that, we cut to a creepy TV commercial for the stuff. Anytime you have a girl holding something and saying the words, now I'm a big girl. And we've we got a creepy commercial. That lady's like, I don't know, pushing 78 or something. <laughs> and they kind of dolled up like some, like, I don't know, like 20-year-old spokesmodel or, I don't know, like one of those ladies on The Price is Right or something. Yeah, she was probably in her mid forties, and forties probably, probably. Her makeup was in its mid forties, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm just saying that is a really creepy commercial, and I I think they, they designed it that way because the lighting's kind of weird. It's lit up like I don't know, like a one of those places have funerals and stuff. Right, it's creepily lit, and she's creepy. She does sound creepy. Yeah, it's a pretty creepy commercial, and. Then it cuts like some rich guys, like on a boat somehow. Yeah, we cut to a yacht, and ice cream moguls are trying to figure out how to recover sales they're losing to the stuff. They've hired former FBI agent David Moe Rutherford to act as a spy. Yeah. Now, I they have that. a current FBI agent on the yacht with them, and I don't know why. But... He's turned them on to Moe. He's, he's like, hey, you know, come in. These guys got a job for you. Okay. And driving it. And then he comes on the boat and he starts doing his bill. And this guy is like, I don't know. He's an ex FBI agent slash now he's like a detective. But he's right. also a con man. He'll con anybody out of information, money, food, anything. He like definitely is. And this is probably how he got fired from the FBI. Well, yeah. He introduces himself to the, uh, heads of the ice cream companies uh, commenting that they all have very sweaty palms. Well, he wants to know why they didn't just go to the FDA with their concerns, but all the FDA folks who were involved in approving the stuff all resigned and disappeared. That's shady. There's some question about whether or not Mo can actually get the job done, and, and that's why that's when he explains that he has planted a bug on one of them yesterday and has been recording their whole conversation about him before he arrived. <laughs> this, is a, this is a good line here when he says, you're not as dumb as you appear. And he says, no one is as dumb as I appear to I be. Appear. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I love about this character. And uh, Michael Moriarty, he, he pulls it off really well. And uh, like Larry Cohen loved this actor. Pretty much kind of wrote this thing for him. I, I know he, I, I know, I think it's either he worked on Q with them and he loved them and then he wrote this form. It was the vice versa. Yeah. But yeah, you could definitely tell like he fed this guy all the great lines. Yeah, I can see that. Cool. I can see that completely. He works really well with the, with this, um, with this script too. Oh, yeah. You know, it's like, all right, well, what would you say here? And then like Michael Myers, like I'd say, Something like that, that sweet line. And you're like, oh, yeah. And he's got just a, a real super sleazy Savannah, Georgia accent, too. 
Oh yeah, he turned. He do like a bunch of accidents. Yeah. Well, Mo takes a check from him, and on his way off the yacht, he's sure to just deck the FBI agent. Yeah. Just to prove that there's no hard feelings. <laughs> uh, next, we cut back to the the little kid we saw earlier. His name's Jason, and they're having breakfast. It's some very cliche morning banter. Uh, Jason doesn't want breakfast, and his dad doesn't want him missing any more school. He's been kind of like uh, you know, like skipping meals, thinking around, trying to like sneak cheese and stuff out of the refrigerator. You tell he hasn't been sleeping, and then. You find out in this thing, yeah, the kid's just been, like, skipping school completely. Right. Well, and Jason's brother wants some more of the stuff, but Jason tries to convince him that uh, they shouldn't be eating it because it moves all on its own. Yeah, he starts yelling at his family and then just, like, runs off. Right. Next, we see Mo at a lab analyzing the stuff, and they're trying to figure out what it is with very clumsy product placement for Coca-Cola. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not at work, but I'm drinking a Coke right now. <laughs> so, hey. Yeah. They're, um. Cheers, and it still works. They're talking about how they don't have to put the full recipe, uh, for a product on the label. And the guy is standing there holding a Coca Cola can up to his face, making sure the logo is showing, explaining this is how they help Coca Cola protect their recipe, too. Yeah. Coca Cola, it's the real thing. They changed it in like 85, 86. I don't know when they changed it. It was somewhere in there. Oh, you mean New Coke? Yeah. Uh, Let me find out. Just to bring back plastic Coke. Yeah, well, I heard that they were doing that to try to compete with... It was 1985 that New Coke was introduced. And the reason that they put forward at that time was that they were trying to compete with Pepsi but the public outcry was so awful that huh. New Coke was pulled from the store shelves after less than a year and the regular Coca-Cola was relabeled Coca-Cola Classic yeah someone got fired over that that's what uh... <laughs> yeah that was just a horrible horrible marketing blunder I mean, there's a reason that people drink Pepsi. That reason is that it doesn't taste like Coke. <laughs> um, the people who drink Coke drink it because it doesn't taste like Pepsi. Somebody thought we can make Coke that tastes like Pepsi and we'll get some of the Pepsi customers. But no. It's not going to happen. Did not happen. No. I like Dr. Pepper. <laughs> so the guys in the lab are continuing to work on stealing the formula for the stuff. Meanwhile. Mo has gone to a a studio where they're shooting a commercial for the stuff. We have girls in swimsuits and full length mink coats on a catwalk yeah. holding the stuff, eating the stuff. For some reason, these girls are not saying a word, but there's a boom mic over there just in case. Also, there's some like I don't know, secretary lady talking over like the intercom. And, yeah, there's, like, guys all over, like, moving furniture, uh, holding lights, taking pictures, a couple of photographers running around, taking pictures of everything. It, it's really weird, confusing scene. And yes. it looks like, like in a big warehouse or something, but then, like, when you go to the shot where you see uh, Mo walking up to the PR lady, it's, like, just, a, like, a corner of, like, just some, like, uh, gallery or something. 
Right. Like they, they some kind of weird spatial thing right there. It's weird. It's almost like Larry Cohen never actually made a commercial and so didn't really know what it was like, or he was operating on this is what people who have no concept of what the business is like think this is what the business is like. I think it was like that. I think it's more like that because uh, all of this stuff, like everything kind of seems like really played up like a made for TV movie. Yeah. Like opening credits is like weird. Like it's like special <clears throat> guest starring stuff. And also, uh, try to take a shot every time we say stuff in this episode. <laughs> uh, uh, in the next three minutes, you will be passed out. So you'll have to start over again. <laughs> but yeah, it's almost like he's tongue-in-cheek making fun of like this is what media looks like and stuff and this is a pr lady and of course there's like a cameras taking pictures of nothing going on in the background of this but yeah no meets nicole she's a pr lady he kind of acts like a rich guy that he's like interested in how oh hey you're the lady that landed the stuff the account and look at you go and it's selling off the shelves and crap Right, he's posing as uh, the owner of an oil company, and he wants Nicole to do a PR campaign for his oil company, but he's not interested in hiring her because, well, that wouldn't be impressive enough to get her to work with him. Instead, he tells her that he's interested in buying her company and then letting her run it. Yeah, like, I got, you know, money stacked. I, I make dreams come true, come work for me, you know, yeah. sign on the dotted line. He does this. He's like too slick. Well, Nicole excuses herself and, and calls her assistant over. She tells her assistant to run a full background check on this guy. <laughs> then she immediately agrees to go to his hotel room for dinner. No, what the fuck? Yeah, I don't trust this guy. Something's not right. I want a full background check on him. Hey. Want to go back to your place where there's no furniture except for the bed? Yeah, she's like, you know, finds out he's like not even from that town. He's staying in this hotel and he starts flirting with him and he flirts back and then she starts giving him blank off like information about the stuff. Who are, uh, you know, the accounts that hired her, these guys, that guy, you know, just starts like just blabbing away. Right. Next, we cut to a grocery store mm. where they're selling so much of the stuff and the first thing that hit me about this grocery store is these are pre-barcode scanner days yeah this is when you had to like uh, know the the code for stuff this is when they put price stickers on things sometimes oh, yeah. yeah they don't do that anymore oh, yeah. for you young folks out there grocery store employees used to have used to have to put stickers on each thing in the grocery store with the price and then the cashier would push buttons to enter the price and then that would bring up your total how old do i sound you right now the, you could go on a discount shopping spree exactly <laughs> well jason stops the kid from eating the stuff just smacks it out of his hand and then he runs off tripping over an aisle display he gets to a dairy case and starts throwing all the stuff on the ground. He knocks over a big pyramid display of the stuff and starts tearing down a sign and smashing a freezer case door. Yeah, he, this kid goes off. This is like one of the best things in this movie. Yeah, as soon as he gets in this grocery store, he just goes on a rampage. 
he grabs like a, a broom and like starts going down the aisle like it's hockey season. Yeah. Uh, two, two grown men cannot stop this kid. He just like powers through the whole store, busts open glass, goes through busted glass and still is throwing it, opening up the canners, the containers, pouring it on the ground, hitting adults with the broom, knocking the sign down. He's a madman. That is very entertaining. If if you don't like scream out, oh my God, you're at least and almost die laughing from it. Finally, three of the grocery store employees are able to tackle him and end his rampage. Meanwhile, Moe visits Mr. Vickers. Vickers has a big old dog. Yeah. Vickers used to work with the FDA, worked on approving the stuff, and Vickers is afraid of his dog. Yeah, it's really weird. Not sure what that's all about. He's been feeding the dog the stuff, he says, and he's got some information for Mo about the people who worked on the project to approve the stuff. Nothing confidential, of course, just some names and phone numbers and addresses, um, and he'll go get that. Well, he goes upstairs because he never throws anything away. He goes upstairs to get some stuff, and Mo takes the opportunity to get nosy, opens up the uh, door to the kitchen and his pantry is just packed full of the stuff. Yeah, he's like talking to the dog. He's like, why, 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 you know, barking at your, you know, buddy yeah. there. And he asked the dog, he asked the dog, why is your master afraid of you? And then he's got to go looking around to investigate that. And that, uh, Danny Aiello is a great actor. I don't know if that dog really made him nervous or what, but he's really sweating in the scene. He really is. He he pulled this off well. It was very believable that, that he he was not cool with the way this dog was behaving. This dog was his bully, and that was very, very clear. If you I don't know if it's bad editing, but there's a scene in here where it's just it's so badly edited that it seems like the dog almost attacked him or he was gonna attack the dog and then like I don't know what happened and then they go well, anyway. Well, yeah, the, now, this was one of Larry Cohen's big complaints about this movie, is that this is not the movie that he wanted to make. That once he got done, the studio let their editors get a crack at it, and they just butchered the film. And this is one of the first scenes where we really see that yeah. uh, pretty clearly, because Vickers comes back downstairs, he gives... Mo a folder with some information and walks him to the door. The next thing we see, Vickers is being attacked by his own dog. His dog is barking at him like crazy. Vickers is explaining, I'll buy more of the stuff. I'll buy more of the stuff. But we just saw the pantry full of it. Yeah. It, it, it's like they're just like yelling at each other and it kind of gets all summer spam. Yeah, and he he tries to pick up the phone to call for help, and the dog rips the phone cord out of the wall. That then was he, awesome. That was kind of awesome. He pukes up some of the stuff and then attacks Vickers, and that's the yeah, last we see there. He's up under the table. The dog's, uh, like, I don't know, he becomes a puppet for, like, a couple of minutes. It just His dog just goes completely limp, like stock puppet, and he just vomits it on the guy. Right, and he heard Danny Alves screaming at the top of his lungs like a madman. Well, next, Mo arrives in Stater, Virginia, 
but almost everybody has left this town with the exception of the gas station attendant who really, really wants Mo to use his restroom. Yeah, it's probably the best in the Tri-County area. I He's guess. Really, really proud of his bathroom. The whole other, the rest of the place looks like straight up shit. Yeah. I, I wouldn't buy bait from this place, but yeah. Hey, I man, no. Aren't you going to use the restroom? I put in a new towel. Yeah. You don't need a key. It was, he even said that you don't need a key. Yeah. It was really strange how badly he wanted Mo to go to the restroom. So I see a mystery car pull up, and Mo asked the gas station attendant, have you ever seen that car? He says, no, I've, I haven't. That's quite an oddity. Two strangers in one day. Well, Mo goes to investigate this car, and we see the gas station attendant running off into the woods. Like he just picks up his like his pants by his ankles and just runs off. Like, oops, yeah. I'm gonna sneak out. Yeah, cut out. No idea what's going on there. Well, Mo gets up to the car and he's trying to peek in the window, and that's when somebody jumps him. Hoo-yah! There's a a struggle. And the guy punches the pavement where Moe's head used to be. Hey, wait a second. I know who that guy is. Who is that guy? That's Chocolate Chip Charlie. That is Chocolate Chip Charlie, played by Garrett Morris. Oh, man. Charlie has arrived in Stater to investigate the people who pushed him out of his own company. And he's tracked them all here. They check at the post office see if they can figure out where these people went because they're obviously not here now the only people here are the gas station owner and the guy at the post office and chocolate chip charlie and chocolate chip charlie yeah but yeah it's a total ghost town everything's covered in vines and shit the postmaster's real friendly at first but then they start asking questions and he gets real serious and just says just leave us alone but they fi- they find out that He's been forwarding their mail to Midland, Georgia. The postmaster gets real uncomfortable and he belches and excuses himself and runs off to a back room in probably the most suspicious way possible. Yeah, he looks like he's got to take a shit. Yeah. Charlie and Mo agree that this guy's up to something. Charlie says they should snatch him, but <laughs> Mo, Mo doesn't like that idea. So Charlie comes up with a better idea. First, hit him over the head. Mo's good with that. I'm good with that. Then stuff him in the trunk of the car. Mo's good with that. Hey, checks out. And then take off. Hell yeah. Not good with snatching him, but hit him over the head, stuff him in the trunk of the car, and and take off. That's a plan. Yeah, because that's a two-step plan. It's like that snatch. Snatch him is one and done. That's just too too on the nose. Snatch is like a crime. This is a plan. Okay. All right. I got you there. Also, you know, it wasn't his plan. It was Charlie's plan. So he's like, I'm going to go with you. I I got you back. So they do that. They bust open. Yeah, they go to investigate noises coming from the back room. We see the postmaster barfing up the stuff, which then crawls out the window just before Charlie and Mo get the door open. Yeah, it's like a liquid slinky. It goes down and then up a wall and then out a window. There's some really good forced perspective in this movie. Yeah. 
the uh, green screen think, leaves something to be desired, but the forced perspective is pretty awesome. Yeah, you can see like the edges and a lot of the green stuff, especially where, like when they're in a car or something. Right. There's that one part, you know, on that cliff. But we're not going to talk about that yet. But yeah, it's it's. I love the stuff where they do the anti gravity stuff. It's it kind of reminds me of like that uh Freddy Krueger scene, you know, where they got the chick and she's going falling up the you know wall and stuff. Right. And it's just you know, that's a chick in a wall, you know. It's kind of like that. It's like we'll we'll just get the camera and move it. We'll you know put it behind some guy's head, and then we're you know we're looking at someone's head, but it's actually liquid going up a wall, going down a wall, and it's it's easier when you see the pictures. Hard to tell somebody. If, you know, when I was watching it, it almost looked like, and I, I have a hard time watching things like this and not trying to figure out how they did it. Oh, yeah. But it's almost like they used a miniature room that they could turn on some kind of axis pretty easily. Yeah. And then the stuff was Elmer's glue. And it moved really well like that. So we see the stuff come out of the postmaster it goes across the floor up the wall and out the window that's pretty cool charlie and mo go out go out the window to investigate and they find a crowd following them with garden tools very <laughs> night of the living dead style yeah just zombies like just kind of like mobbing up going to attack them right torches and pitchfork style yeah well, they run, the crowd catches them, and so they start punching faces off. Yeah. This is this is what I meant about the special effects earlier, because, well, Chocolate Chip Charlie has fists of steel, their deadly weapon. His hands are registered as a lethal weapon. Oh, yeah. He is totally, like, kung fu the shit out of everybody. Right. And every time he punches somebody in the face... You get to see the fist going towards that person, then you get to see it crash through a paper mache head. It's almost like he's punching people with that have bodies consistent out of flower pots. Yeah, if that makes any sense, like they just explode. It's just a giant pinata fest there. Yeah, no guts or nothing, just dust and maybe like a little bit of glitter or something, just like and some hard candies fall out. That'd be sweet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they make it to a boat and uh, escape. Meanwhile, the stuff crawls back inside the postmaster and he wakes up. Yeah, like nothing ever happened. Yeah, this guy's jaw was dislocated. That's how far his mouth had to open uh, for the stuff to come out. But then it just went back in and, and he's good. He's good again. It's creepy to see the people with their jaws like that. The it dog, is. the dog was kind of okay. You're like, that's a puppet, right? Yeah, I mean, it went from a very real dog to a Davy and Goliath looking dog, and then back to a real dog. But like the people is just so you just don't put a jaw inside that silicone mask or something. That just that looks so damn creepy. Yeah, I liked it. I really liked that effect. Oh yeah, me too. Where'd they find that? They're like in a diner or something, right? Yeah, Mo and Charlie arrived at a diner, and Mo very loudly asked for the stuff, and the waitress says it's on order. But now everybody in the place is is watching them, so yeah. we know something is up. 
in this diner. Mo and Charlie decide they're going to split up at this point. He tells he gives Charlie like a card or something. Right. He's like, hey, uh, there's this guy. He works for the FBI. Go to DC. Tell him, hey, uh, this guy sent you. Okay, give him this card and um, tell him about that murder uh, guy in the town that's dead and that body at the uh, at the post office. Tell him all that shit. Uh, I, I got something to do. I got to go take care of. Yeah, so we send Charlie off to D.C. to notify the FBI. Meanwhile, Mo decides to hitch a ride with a couple of truckers. Cut to the waitress opening the cooler door, and there's nothing inside except the stuff. Yeah, it's it's that kind of level of conspiracy thing. It reminds me of, like, you can definitely see where he was, like, kind of influenced by, like, uh, old 50s, like, uh, ooh, they're coming, you know. Xenophobes, right. like, oh man, it's like uh, the pod people, but all it is, you gotta eat like whipped cream and go crazy. Yeah, there's definitely an invaders, uh, invasion of the body snatchers element here. Yeah, I mean, it, they're selling that point the whole movie, but then, then this is where it's like, okay, right. everybody, like the southeastern United States is already taken over pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, next we see Mo walking across the street in a in a large city. Yeah, it's like he was like in Georgia. He, he's close, right? He was in a small town in Virginia. Now he's in Midland, Georgia. I've never been to Midland, Georgia, but apparently it's a fairly sizable city. There's a stuff vendor with a little ice cream cart on the corner. And as Mo crosses the street, she pulls out a walkie-talkie bigger than her head. Yeah. And notifies somebody that he's here. They they try to gun him down. Yeah, Van speeds by, nearly hitting him, and just drives off. Well, Mo meets in an office with the distributor of the stuff. He claims to not know what's in the stuff, and even if he does know what it is, he says, he doesn't know what it is. Well, Mo threatens to shut him down, and that doesn't fly, so then Mo threatens to kill him. And that gets him a job offer. I just want to pause and say how much I really like that that office of that rich guy. Yeah, it's your typical um, Daddy Warbuck style office. Hardwood paneling and nice furniture. Has a, desk. has a complete stuffed white like grizzly bear in the corner of it. Yeah. It's creepy as shit. Like in the carpets, like I don't know, it kind of reminds me of uh, The Shining. You know, the college I went to had a big stuffed polar bear uh, as well. Really? Yeah. Damn. Yeah, Cumberland University in Lebanon, Tennessee has a room in the main, in the main hall there that was donated by uh, a wealthy alum who was a, a big game hunter. And he had, had all, he had killed all these different animals, including a big polar bear. And had it stuffed and donated it to the university. I bet it's like huge. If it's like eight foot tall or something, it's massive. It's yeah. massive, and it's still there. I just I thought that I just thought that set design was neat, like red carpets on wood panels, and like just a giant white bear, kind of creepy. Kind of reminds me of like Twin Peaks or something. It's like um, yeah, yeah. It's definitely yeah. Um, if you're thinking industrial magnate. Of the 50s or 60s or 70s, this is exactly 
what it what it is. Thinking Mortimer Duke from Trading Places. That yeah, that's this guy, but like Southern Fried. And it kind of, it kind of looks like James Coburn, but like with no facial hair. Yeah, Mo threatens to shut him down, and that doesn't impress him. But when Mo threatens to kill him, well, that gets him a job offer, including $25,000 cash and a contract that just happened to be waiting for him there. Hey, man, that is one hell of an interview. Exactly. <laughs> Mo agrees to take the job, provided he doesn't have to eat the stuff. He gets the job. He does. Let me cut to uh, Mo and Nicole on the sidewalk. She is distraught over having promoted the stuff now that she knows what it does. She's trying to convince Mo to go to the FBI or Ralph Nader, one of the two, with the information he has. That really dates the hell out of this movie, doesn't it? Right. I guess around... And then now he doesn't want you to eat the stuff. Around this time, Ralph Nader had a consumer advocacy TV series called Fight Back, where he would review defective products on on tv i just remember the seatbelt. like before that like that was like a luxury option like ralph nader's like uh-uh and then like now everybody's got to get a seatbelt on right everything. ralph nader actually rose to prominence i believe because of that advocating for seat belts as standard safety equipment claiming that the auto manufacturers knew that seat belts would save lives and decided against putting them in cars or making them required safety equipment. Yeah, it was cutting, you know, overhead. And it's like, eh, a lot of belts, you know. And like, nah, he, he fought the good fight stuff. Yeah. Hey, everybody, Mike McDonald here. I just wanted to take a minute to tell you about our Patreon, where you can support this podcast for as little as $1 per episode. And when you make a pledge at any level, that money allows us to make donations to film schools all across the country. It's our way of giving a little something back to the great people who make the movies we enjoy so much. So go to patreon.com slash cdfpod and join at any level. No matter which level you choose, we think you're awesome for supporting the filmmakers of tomorrow. Patreon.com slash CDFpod. Back at the lab, Jason made it made the papers with his supermarket tirade. <laughs> yeah, he's in the room watching TV and it's like just them talking shit about him beating up that store clerk and just crashing the door. Mo wants to go talk to Jason, and this is where we find out that Nicole, who didn't trust Mo to begin with. And wanted a background check on him. Well, he's her boyfriend now. Yeah, that's really weird. He, he, he like kind of makes a pass at him. And then Mo comes completely clean, tells her the whole thing. Yeah. And then super happy about it and then like hugs him. <clears> and then they like, I don't know, go out to eat or something. It's weird. Yeah, it was really weird. He does the whole thing about, uh, you know how you didn't trust me? Well, you were right not to trust me because I lied to you. Oh, that's so sweet. I love you. It's, yeah, it's kind of, it's really slapped together. That's more that edit. I think yeah. you're right. I think we, I think we missed a lot in there that was edited out that would have made that whole thing a lot more believable. Because like it cuts the, them on the, the sidewalk and then it cuts Jason in his room and it cuts back into the sidewalk. And I think it cuts back to Jason one more time and then he goes downstairs to see his family. Yeah. So like, next we see Jason. Jason's grounded. He's in his room. Downstairs, his brother is playing a, 
an Atari 2600 game, it looks like. And I tried to remember what that game was. I know I've played that game, but I cannot yeah. for the life of me remember what it was. It's like television or something. It's like Star something. It's like a three-fourth thing, and you're flying down the thing. Yeah, it's a side-scrolling shooter, at, and um, where you just got to blow up a bunch of stuff and fly through little gaps in this wall. Uh, I, I can't remember what it is. Somebody watch this movie, see this video game, and tell us what it is. Uh, send us a note on Facebook or, or Twitter or Instagram and let us know what this video game is. Thank you. <laughs> Jason finds out that his family has been eating nothing but the stuff. And they're trying to talk Jason into eating the stuff. That doesn't work, so they decide to force him to eat it. You're going to go upstairs and you're going to stay there until you eat. Yeah. Well, Jason goes upstairs and he dumps this stuff in the toilet. And if we've learned anything from the past few movies, it's that putting things in the toilet is a bad idea. If one the movies tell me is like toilets and bathrooms are dangerous areas that should be avoided at all costs. Exactly. You either get a radioactive monster or a giant poisonous uh, mutated snake. snake. Yeah. Um, or, or something. And in this case, we get menacing, bubbling marshmallow cream trying to fight its way up out of the toilet bowl. Yeah. It did not, it, it went unwillingly down that hole. So Jason finally flushes it down and he fills the container up with shaving cream. And he goes yeah. back downstairs and eats the shaving cream and convinces his family that, yep, you were right. I'm one over. This is good stuff. And he's standing there eating shaving cream. Yeah, he's like, I'm one of you guys. Check it out. Check, I'm totally one of you guys, right? Which This kind of leads to my favorite line in the movie. So we'll get to that. But Jason's brother comments that he doesn't get tired anymore. And his dad explains that none of them get tired now that they're eating properly. And by eating properly, he means eating nothing but the stuff. And Jason takes this opportunity to just go running out of the house. Yeah, it's like, I guess I'm going to go play ball now that I ate the, the stuff. Yeah, just goes running out. His dad takes a bite of the stuff that Jason left behind and discovers that it's shaving cream. So they all go, um, they all go chasing after him. Yeah, they start yelling and chasing him. And they almost get him. They almost get him. Mo pulls up in his car and tells him to get in. Um, this was prior to um, Gary Coleman doing all those uh, Just Say No commercials or, yeah. or Run Away, Stranger Danger. Yeah. No, some guy just pulls up and says, Jason, get in the car. So he does. He it's jumps, just, jumps in yeah. the back seat and um, Mo drives away. Um, Jason barfs up all the shaving cream that he's been eating. Yeah. And he apologizes. He said, I, I just threw up in your back seat. And Mo says, I know. He says, well, I've been eating shaving cream. And Mo says, yeah. I, well, I have to eat a little shaving cream in life every once in a while. <laughs> no, is that, I, is that your line? Better. Yeah, he delivers it way better. But that line, yeah. time. And I've seen this movie a bunch. Every time he says that, I lose my shit. 
Because no, there's like he. I know he's doing he's consoling the kid. No one has ever consoled anybody doing that line. <laughs> it's like you know a saying. You know, it's like old old wives tell or something. You tell them it makes them feel better. Yeah. Sometimes you just have to eat the shaving cream. Yeah, that 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 should be a thing. That's a, that needs to be a t-shirt. I, or I want it like I don't know, like needle needle point on a sampler or something. Like frame that. You know, when they do that, they do the little sands and needle point and then they put them in a frame. <laughs> Just says everybody has to eat shaving cream once in a while. <laughs> Sweet. But yeah, that, that should be like some, I mean, it is a classic line in like, you know, B movie cinema. It is a good line. It is a good line. Um, Mo takes Jason to a private jet where Nicole is waiting for him. And they fly to Midland, Georgia, and leave Jason asleep in the private jet. And just tell the pilot that uh, if he wakes up, keep him entertained. <laughs> Again, it was a different world in 1985. Yeah, time, yeah. Yeah, kids were allowed to play outside unattended. You can leave them with strangers at airports. Yeah. Actually, I, I was, I, you still couldn't do that. Like, no, nah, don't do that. Don't do that. That was a bad <laughs> idea. Back yeah. then, too. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they just leave them in the airport, in the airplane, with the pilot. Yep. Meanwhile, they go off to meet with the heads of the company that mines the stuff. We see Jason wake up on the jet, just as the fuel crew attack the pilot. We see these guys pulling up there. They've got their hoses and everything. And it looks like they're just refueling this jet, but... They attack the pilot for some reason that is never explained. Yeah. And the stuff just starts pouring into this plane. Jason sneaks out the back way and runs off. Yeah, he starts running out toward the, uh, the way that uh, Nicole and Mo like they drove off. He's like, well, right. On the way out. We see him um, run off into a cave. And then the next thing you know, he's... At the gravel quarry, and there are tanker trucks there. Oh, yeah, that's where... Uh, More of the hack job editing. That, yeah, because he, yeah, he like does that scene where he kind of rolls down a hill with the trees and shit. Right. Or, yeah. and then, I think uh, I think uh, I might have got ahead of myself there, honestly. Nah, because it, it cuts back to Moen, they're driving, and then they get to the refinery, and then it cuts back to him, and he's out there running oh. down a road and he goes off into the woods and they yeah. come back to the, and they're talking to the people that give them the, the uh like the little tour and he's got the camera at that point and he's an acting an ass right right here it is I've, I've got it i'm back on track now so at the at the factory where they package the stuff a guy named cassidy is showing nicole and mo around the packing plant then jason has uh, made it into the woods and he stumbles down a hill into a cave that, based on the sounds we're hearing, is filled with jungle birds. Yeah. It's like they got one of those cheap sound effects records and just went to uh, birds and yeah. put it on and didn't even check see what kind of birds they were. Right. Bunch of jungle birds living in a cave in Georgia. Um, that sounds like Vietnam. Right. Next thing we see is a tanker truck arriving. Um, he's not in the cave anymore. And he climbs up on top. Jason climbs up on top of this tanker truck. 
and climbs inside it for some reason. And a worker locks him in there. Yeah. Well, the folks at the factory have put Mo and Nicole up in a hotel room. Um, at the motel, Nicole is asleep while Mo's reading. And a commercial comes on. I love this commercial. It's a commercial for The Stuff starring Abe Vigoda of Barney yep. Miller fame and Clara Peller Clara of Peller, Wendy's yeah. Where's the Beef fame. Yeah. Except now she's saying, where's the stuff? Uh, Dukakis used that for his uh, run. Yeah. It was, in one of the, it was in one of the presidential debates that Mike Dukakis used the where's the beef line. Yeah, kind of parallel. She was all over the place. She was. She died shortly after this movie. Yeah, but like the, that whole, you know, like three or four years, she was like a A-list celebrity. Everybody knew who she was. Right. This was a Super Bowl commercial. Just Google "Where's the Beef" and you'll see everything that you need to know about it. There's a Super Bowl commercial that. for Wendy's. Yeah, Google that. Uh, yeah, don't Google "Show me the beef." Or Google wears the beef. Super Bowl commercial. <laughs> Put the whole thing in there. One of them will take you to YouTube. The other one will take you somewhere else, and you don't want to go there. Actually, just stick to YouTube, yes. Yeah. But, yeah, so it's like Gabe Vigonia. Vigonia, that's not his name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, classic actor, Godfella. He died, like, not too long ago. He was like a mummy. He lived for, like, ever. He was. I mean, Abe Vigoda was born old. Yeah. I, I think I think he was born 63 years old. Yeah. Because he was playing like 63-year-olds when he was like 32. Let's see here. He was in The Godfather. Um, I know him from Barney Miller. Yeah, Barney Miller. Fish. Yeah, he only died five years ago. Yeah. At the age of 95. Damn, dude. Yeah, Abe Vigoda was one of those guys. He had that gaunt face that, that did make him look much older. And so in the 1970s, when he was 50, he was able to play somebody who looked almost 70. Yeah. And Clara Peller was just awesome. Yeah, she's an awesome lady. If she had lived, she would have been one of the Golden Girls. Yeah. <laughs> Later, while Mo and Nicole are asleep, the stuff starts coming out of one of their pillows and attacks them. And it looks like the stuff wraps around Moe's head. But the, the way this effect is done, it almost looks like they've just wrapped a towel around his face. Yeah, it, it's weird. I mean, it works, but yeah, that's kind of sloppy. But they're just going to wrap a towel around your face and set it on fire. Right. So... Nicole goes and gets a, an oil lamp and dumps the lamp oil onto the stuff. Then she very aggressively strikes a match. I don't know how she did that without breaking the match. Very aggressively. Very aggressive. They set the stuff on fire. Then this guy comes into the room from somewhere. It's like he comes out of the bathroom. Yeah, he comes out of the bathroom. Yelling, leave us alone, leave us alone, I'm going to kill you. Yes, yeah, so I didn't know if he was attacking the stuff or if he was already infected by the stuff and knew the stuff got fucked up by the fire, so he was, like, coming to save the stuff. Right, it's I'm not... Really, I think, yeah, he, he's an assassin, he's a stuff assassin, 
and he messed it up, so he has to attack them, because then Mo just, like, they beat the shit up for him. They use the room that's already on fire to set him on fire. Yeah, and the, I, the stuff ends up killing this guy. I think they still, because they, they still a pickup truck, and I think that's that guy's pickup truck. Right, I think, again, this is some of the sloppy editing that, that made this scene confusing, because, yeah, they do go outside, they hotwire a pickup truck, and and get away so they head right back to the factory meanwhile jason's still trapped in the tanker truck and it's on the move now there's a convoy headed from the factory to the quarry because the stuff comes down just after sunset yeah we get to the quarry and workers are pumping the stuff out of a big pool into the tanker truck that's gross the way they did that like it it has like these like parts in the pool of it where it's coming up and like stretching out and kind of looks yeah. like hands like, or something. You know what it looks like? It kind of looks like you ever see the cartoon tar pit with the bubbles coming up and popping? Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Yep. Like the, the bread tar pits, but like animated from like some kind of 50s cartoon. Right. So this is almost like a, a, a big pool of this, of white paint and little whack-a-mole heads popping up in it every once in a while yeah like they just kind of fart up and then go back down and then another one like a couple feet away would do it yeah and it's eerie green too the way they did it i really like this effect i i like the mood that it said i like the way it looked it, it worked for me yeah like they're up there on the hill and they're like looking down it kind of reminds me of uh Close Encounters, when they get to that mountain. Yeah. It's like that part in the movie. It's like, oh, that's kind of nice. Yeah, it is. So Mo and Nicole, they abandon their stolen pickup truck and proceed on foot, where they find this lake of the stuff. Mo needs to steal one of these tanker trucks in order to prove where the stuff is coming from. He managed to steal a jumpsuit from one of the workers while they were at the factory. And he's going to use this as a disguise. And it looks like he has ankle bracelets with plastic explosives on them. Yeah. He's a, he's a pretty stinky guy. Like, I, don't I don't know, know why he just didn't stick those in his pocket. Why he had to strap them onto his ankles. If something went wrong there, I mean, it's going to blow his feet off and then he can't run away. Yeah. But what if he got like certain I don't know. Yeah, he's a weird guy. He says stuff about eating shaving cream. <laughs> Had the whole like poncho and like uh, the like you know factory worker outfit like in his back pocket because like he, he doesn't like a like anything to carry it in. Yeah, I mean now that you brought up the shaving cream reference again, I guess that does put it all back into perspective. He's just a weird dude. The workers are about to start pumping the stuff into the truck where Jason's trapped. And we, we cut back and forth between actual shots of Jason in this tank and green screen shots of Jason in the tank. Yeah, that green screen shot is weird. It's, it's very weird, yeah. Well, Mo sends Nicole back to the truck that they hotwired and tells her that the keys are under the floor mat. And she needs to take that truck and meet up with him later at the highway. He knew the keys are in the format, the one that he hotwired. 
See, this movie's all edited the hell out. I mean, this... Well, I mean, you can't impress a lady by taking the keys out from under the floor mat the same way you can impress a lady by showing her that you can steal a truck. Yeah, but that lady's easily impressed. I mean, they pretty much started dating after he, like, told her how much full of shit he was. That's true. But I just think it's weird how he picked the truck that Jason's trapped in to steal in the first place. Yeah, we're getting to that. Yeah. Mo sneaks around this lake and he's planting these explosives all along the cliff face overlooking the lake of the stuff. And as he nears the lake, lake. yeah, as he nears the lake, we see Cassidy there and he starts following Mo because he recognizes it. Yeah. They duck around behind a truck and Mo takes him out. And as he's walking by these trucks trying to figure out which one he can steal, he hears Jason inside the tank okay. yelling for help because they're pumping it full of the stuff now. I just remember him like walking around and then like he yeah, he's trying to duck out on that guy and he's planting like strategically planting the bombs. But I never remember the kid yelling. I just remember him like getting in the truck. It's like, all right, it's time to go. But yeah, I guess yeah, he yelled. I remember they did start pumping that shit in there. Right. So Jason is inside the truck. It's filling up with the stuff, but Mo steals that truck, and as he drives away, he sets off the explosives, causing the cliff face to collapse into the lake of the stuff, filling it up. That was awesome. Nicole makes it back to the pickup truck, but there's a stuffy hiding inside the truck. Yeah, stuffies are people that are taken over by the stuff. Right. Uh, it, I, they, they just start saying that like halfway through the movie, like, I don't know who made yeah. it up. Mo did, but, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think well, Mo is the first one we hear using it. I think Jason says something to the effect that the stuff gets inside him and it takes him over. And then, yeah, Mo starts saying, All right, yeah, no, we got to get away from the stuffies. Right. Well, the stuffy attacks Nicole, so she gouges his eye out. While he's down, Mo arrives and runs him over <laughs> <laughs> and just, just flattens him. And if you ever wanted to see a bag of foam and rolled up newspapers run over by a truck, here's where you're going to see it. Yeah, it's about like an hour and some odd minutes in. So they help Mo or help Jason out of the tanker at this point, And they're trying to make their getaway when the cops pull them over. This is, this is pretty funny. It's the worst joke ever. Cop walks up to him and says, hey, your, your hose is hanging out back there. To which Mo asks, are you going to arrest me for indecent exposure? <laughs> <laughs> because we can't have a sci-fi comedy movie without a wiener joke. When's the last time we did a movie without a wiener joke, Jesse? Oh, man. Like, I think at least every one of them has had at least, at least one dick or fart joke in them. Sometimes... In the same sentence. So, yeah. And ever. <laughs> and they're all worth it. Every one of them. They are pretty good. Yeah. I give this one. This one's probably a little bit more highbrow than the ones we usually hear. Yeah, it's I'll not give. quite as on the nose as some of them. Yeah. Well, they all pile out of the truck. Jason and Nicole decide they're going to divert the cops' attention. They start acting like stuffies, and they're gonna. They notice the stuff running out of the hose that's hanging from the back of the truck, and 
they're going to go eat it. And it's very, very over the top. Aren't you going to join us, officer? It's really good stuff, officer. Yeah, they, but it works. I mean, the cop is like, oh, you know, they got a point. Oh, yeah, there's stuff oh, back oh, there. I like the stuff. I'm going to go eat the stuff. Yeah, it works. Like you said, the cop goes back there to get some of the stuff. They clock him. They totally pop him off. Right. Jump back in the truck and just pull out. It was really easy. Like that kid really like kept it on his feet. It's like, oh, dude, I bet this cop's the stuff. He watch this, and then like kick backed him up. But I was just kind of sitting there, you know, waving his hands in the air because he didn't want to get shot. Right. And then yeah, like it worked. It works. Mo knocks this guy over the head. They pile into the truck and leave. And then we see them pulling up the driveway to a big castle. Now. Here's some more hatchet job editing because Mo gets out of the truck and he's going to walk up to the castle and we see this aerial shot of him walking up and then suddenly a soldier appears in the middle of the driveway. Yeah. He doesn't jump out. He doesn't walk out of the tall grass. He just appears in the driveway. And then we see others popping up out of the grass, yelling and screaming. And it's very cartoonish the way these guys are. If they're moving, they're yelling. Yeah, they want to make it like it's like one of those scenes from like a James Bond movie where like everybody was hit. And then like, you know, at a drop of a hat, everybody comes out of cover. All Braveheart style. Yeah, it's, it's going to be cool like that, but it's not cool because it seems like, I don't know. Yeah, like you said, there's like, there's nothing there, and then you see one person just standing out in the middle of nowhere, and then you get that big arrow shot where everybody lazily kind of gets up, and it's like they almost messed up the take, and they were standing up to, like, I don't know, go back to their marks or something, Yeah, but no, that's the take, that's it, that, that was just them, you know, so I was like, oh, shit. That's it? Yeah. Well, they've got Mo surrounded, and Mo says he's there to report to Colonel Spears. They take him to Colonel Spears, and Mo immediately attempts to blackmail him. Uh, he's got some, uh, from where he worked as the FBI agent, he has a little bit of uh, shade on Colonel Spears. And Colonel Spears is like, what are you doing, like, coming up in my place, and you're, like, going to blackmail me? I don't think so. He's like, well, no, I just, I kind of want to talk. It's like a parlay, you know, it's like, hey, you know, wait. I was just saying all that, because, you know, like, I'm telling you I'm legit with that. I know what I'm doing, you know. Yeah, so then he decides to play off of Colonel Spears' communist fears to get the colonel to go after the headquarters of the stuff. Right, look, uh, the colonel is like a rich guy who is running a uh, militia out in the middle of nowhere on private property. Yeah. These, these guys aren't like real army guys. These are like, you know, weekend, doomsday prepper type guys. It's kind of hard to tell. Either they are cartoonish real military or the colonel is retired military and he built his own private army is never really sure which one it actually is there it isn't until later on in the movie and you get a close-up of some of these guys that he's got the guns and then you're like oh okay yeah no yeah this is this is like a privately owned militia right like, he's got uh, four or five main guards, and they look, like, head to toe, ex-military, like, big, fruity guys. And then you got, you know, Colonel Spears, which that name right there, that's kind of like, 
as phallic, you know, and he like, yeah, he's like running around. He's kind of like little Mussolini and stuff. Yeah. We find out pretty quick that Colonel Spears is actually another wiener joke uh, because they head downstairs and Jason and Nicole have been brought to the castle at this point. And the Colonel immediately gets as pervy as he can get with Nicole. He grabs her. It's like, hey, lady, where you been in my life? You gonna ride front seat with me? You know, when we go save, you know, save the world. Yeah, he's kind of like a you know chauvinist guy. Well, Mo and- tells the colonel that, uh, hey, you're moving in on my lady, and the colonel says, don't worry about that. You'll probably end up a casualty. Yeah. Oh man, he's totally like having the day of his life. He's like you know getting everybody riled up. They're all you know forming in line. He's got the plan. They're gonna yeah. go to the factory, and he's gonna prove it. You know, Mo's going to prove it to the colonel, and colonel's going to save the day. Yeah, the, the, Mo has given the colonel the military coup that he's always dreamed of. Yeah, wrapped up in a bow. <laughs> Next, we see a soldier. We don't know he's a soldier, though, because he's actually in plain clothes, and he's returning the truck, and he expects to get a reward, while the guard, who is a stuffy, shoots him when he demands the money, and the colonel and the rest of the army show up and storm the factory. Yeah, they start doing maneuvers. Uh, it's like, da, 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 da. you know, they're, hup, 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 hup. you know, they, they actually say that when they're running through, and they get a couple of them here and there. But it's like earlier, it's like you know, you, you just pop them once, and they kind of explode like they're made out of paper mache, right? And chunks of them fall off. So it's kind <laughs> of kind of takeover. I mean, you just like hit him in the leg, boom! That you know that that guy's out of commission. You know, right. Inside the stuff factory, it's all smoky like an X-Files episode, and everybody's gone. As they explore the the factory, they find the stuffies, and they're all dead on the ground. Yeah, they're all laid like laid down with their jaws open, and uh, Colonel Spears thinks that everybody's taking cyanide tablets. He thinks that they took the coward way out, and he's mad about it, and he's like, you know, what'd you, you know, this isn't what I wanted, this is, you know, like this stuff. And so, like, uh, Nicole and Jason try to, like, all right, we're getting out of here. Well, the colonel hits one of these guys, one of these dead stuffies in the head, and it breaks open like a bad pinata, and it's full of some kind of red powder. Yeah. We never hear anything more about that either or what that was about. And from there, we cut to the stuff chasing Jason and Nicole through the factory. Yeah. Kind of like the blob. Yeah, just comes out and they're like oh shit so they were they turn around a corner and like all of a sudden this the stuff comes down around the corner and it's chasing them and they're like screaming they're running from the stuff through this factory they escape from the factory just as the stuff starts to explode through the through the walls well they all get away including the colonel and his army but they need to get word out to the rest of the country that something's Terrible is going on, and the colonel knows exactly how to do this because if they can get to Atlanta, he owns two radio stations that can help them get the word out. Uh, so they're going to fly to Atlanta. Yeah. So they get in a car, or they get into like you know a plane. They fly to another airport in Atlanta, and at the airport, there's like an army of taxi cabs just waiting there. Yeah, they pile out of this plane and just storm the airport, and we see all the hup, 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 hup guys just piling into these taxis. 
Like with their guns hanging out the, the windows. Well, they pile into the taxis. The taxis take them to the radio station. They pile out of the taxis and hop, 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 up to the colonel. Colonel raises a fist and they all fall silent. And that's when the colonel gives the orders to pay the taxi drivers and give them a 10% tip. Out and get a receipt. I want get receipt a receipt. From, that's when you see these guys, like these uh, weekend warrior type guys. And you're like, you're like, oh man, yeah, those guys are, I don't know, man. Some of them look like, look like they're 16 and it's weird. So inside the radio station, uh, the colonel is informed that the station and its affiliates have agreed to air his address. They turn on a speaker and they hear a commercial for the stuff going out on the air. Nicole yeah. is typing the colonel's address, but she can't type. Yeah, she's a hunt pecker. Yeah, definitely. You just said hunt. I also said pecker. <laughs> but, yeah. She's for a reporter, like a PR. Well, no, she's a PR chick. But at this point, she becomes like a reporter, and that's awkward, too. Like, she just becomes like, once she starts dating uh, Mo, it's like she becomes a different person altogether. She's like a reporter now, and she's got to get out the truth about the stuff. Like, her whole character falls apart, like, halfway through this movie. Yeah. So, while she's trying to write the colonel's address, Charlie shows up. Remember, Charlie was supposed to go to D.C. and inform the FBI of what was going on and get them to send help. We never heard from the FBI. Charlie comes in, and this is where we find out that Colonel Spears, in addition to being a lush, is also a terrible racist yeah, and a conspiracy a theorist. I kind of saw breadcrumbs the whole way in. There's certain stuff he says and shit, but at this point, yeah, cats out of the bag. This guy's kind of a kind of a dummy. Yeah, he's he's a dick. He's not okay with Charlie being black, even after Mo vouches for him. Charlie warns Nicole about what happens when the stuff comes back out of a person. And then Charlie starts convulsing. Yeah, he kind of takes her off to the side. It's like, well, let me tell you about my story and stuff. And he takes her over there and he like flies, like flies, like locks the door behind him and shit. And they go to the side recording room. And then he starts like, yeah, I've seen people. Stuff come into them, come out of them, go back in. And she's just like listening to it. And then, yeah. And Charlie starts convulsing. And we see his jaw swing wide. And the stuff comes out of Charlie. And it's got him trapped in the sound booth. That effect of Garrett Morris's face unhinging. It's a pretty that, good, pretty creepy effect. That usually is what spells people to watch this movie. Because... They just put that picture on the back of the box. Yeah. Like when you print the VHS. And yeah, even that kind of, like, kind of spoils the movie. You want to see that scene. Right. Well, Mo breaks the window to the sound booth and he cuts this really thick power line by shooting it. I'm pretty sure that's not how that works. But then again, like, I think that's Larry Cohen's, like, yeah, this is like, yeah, we're yeah. like a monster movie. Give me a big power cord. I'm going to shock it to death. Yeah, he's got a, like this heavy duty, like two and a half inch diameter power line that he shoots. And so now he's got two frayed ends of wire, which he uses to create enough spark to set the stuff on fire in the sound room, in the sound booth. Yeah, the whole, th the whole booth just goes up in flames. Just goes up in flames. Now we've got 
a radio station that is on fire. But that's okay because the colonel's in a different room and his address is going out live over the air. Yeah. Well, they they get uh you know, they get Nicole out of there and I don't know why Jason was in there, but Jason was also in there and they get them out of there. I guess they put the fire out and yeah, down the hall Colonel Spears is giving his uh, speech to warning the world. And I guess like, you know, when the military goes on the radio and the Martians land and stuff, and they they have like a montage of like a bunch of people. Yeah, that's exactly, that's exactly what this is like, is, is when the military warns people that the Martians are coming. So we get kind of an epilogue montage of people burning the stuff and, and blowing up the stuff stands and and the factory and the trucks that, was the, funny as shit. that stands because it's like right between like an old mcdonald's and an old kfc they yeah just like a little photo hut of stuff and they blow it, was, that up. it almost looked like a baskin robbins yeah like uh, like an old like, yeah it looks that's exactly what it looked like that paint job and stuff yeah i don't know awesome. if it was the pink paint or or what it was but that's what it reminded me of was an old Baskin Robbins store. Yeah, it's like that font too. It has like that cool smooth font and then kind of like that's like a little curve in it. Yeah. While all this montage is playing out, the radio news is reporting the details of public outcry over the stuff. Well, Mo goes back to the head of the factor of the company that produces the stuff. Turns out that this guy is in cahoots with the ice cream folk to produce a new product they're calling The Taste. And yeah. it just has a little bit of the stuff in it. Just enough stuff to make you want it. And then a lot of dairy. It turns out we've got a chance for justice here. Because Jason is also with Mo, And yeah. we've set these guys down. The head of the company that produces the stuff. And the head of the ice cream company. Set them down at a big table. And Jason is unpacking cartons of the stuff. Now, remember, these two guys early in this movie said that they never touched the stuff. Yeah, and like Moe's got, pretty much got him at gunpoint with this kid with a box of it, and, and they're going to get dessert. Yeah, they are forced to sit here and eat all of the stuff. Like a whole case of it. And as the cops arrive, Jason and Moe take off. So the cops are just going to find these two guys in here eating the stuff. Crying about it. Also, like, there's, like, a weird part in there where there's, like, I don't know, it's, like, time has passed, and uh, Nicole's doing, like, a editorial report. Like, it, they're, they're watching it on TV as Moe comes in, and it's weird. Yeah, it's like, and she's doing, like, an investigative reporter piece. It's, like, 60 minutes, yeah, and then, like, yeah, they, they yeah. pull out the gun start cracking it in and like as they're starting to eat so much they're going in the shake jason's like well like cops are here right on time and him and mo they go out and then then we see a back alley drug deal except yeah. it's not drugs they're buying it's, it's the stuff yeah credits roll credits that, that movie had like six endings it it did it had a lot of of different endings there i mean Everything got wrapped up in the end. I better have. That's a lot of ending. <laughs> I mean, it was kind of like an epilogue there. Yeah. 
because uh, past past them like making the 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 call on the radio, it's all epilogue. Right. Like once the message go out, that's where like a, a movie would have ended. And yeah, they kept on pushing it, man. But I, I have to it. agree with Larry Cohen that this movie would have been. I mean, it wouldn't have been nearly as disjointed as it ended up being if yeah. they had left his edit alone. But it looks like he wanted to make a statement movie and they wanted an action comedy. Yeah. Like he, he was doing something with like satire and, and, and like a statement and had a little bit of jokes in there. I could see the humor and stuff that he was trying to do. Right. But yet they wanted like some kind of sci fi thing by the numbers action. And, and I don't think anybody got what they wanted out of this. I don't know. I did. It was a pretty good time. I learned. It was something. a fun movie. It was a fun yeah. movie to watch. But, I mean, it's one of these movies that I don't know how much replay value it has for me personally. I think once I've seen it, I've seen it. Yeah. But see, that's why I like. They should remake this movie now. Like, put a little money into it. Uh, get someone real creative on it and like just let them go watch. They keep on remaking like good Oh, movies. you know what? Huh. Dwayne The Rock Johnson as David Moe Rutherford. I'd buy that. It'd even there be like, like character in that movie, The Rundown, you know? And and get Garrett Morris to come back and play Chocolate Chip Charlie again. Yes. <laughs> or or the uh the main evil rich guy. That uh, funded the stuff, the distributor. I would totally see, like, oh man, a remake of the stuff. If if they want to make movies come back and stuff, then make keep the theater alive. Do that. Go remake some movies that should have been remade. Leave the good movies alone, right? <laughs> don't don't try to make uh, a gold into something else precious. Make crap in the gold, all right? We hope you exactly. enjoyed this podcast. We had a lot of fun I mean, they brought it. back sure Magnum P.I., they, they brought back MacGyver, they brought back Hawaii Five-O. I've never seen any of those. I didn't see any of the remake. Well, no. I want to say all the remake of Knight Rider that happened a long time ago. And don't forget, you can help us make donations to all across the country. It came out in 2000. It was horrible. I don't all right. Was, well, we I think that's a so podcast. Awesome. It probably yes, shouldn't have been made. <laughs>